Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm so excited about tonight, Andy, because we get to prove to our guests that the characters in this movie actually speak. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 97, which begins with Tony's thoughts on Fury's fifing and ends with Selvig busy on the top. <laughs> of Stark Tower. Back on the show from a few weeks ago, we have playwright Dean O'Carroll. Hello, Dean. Hey, I'm I'm back. I'm very glad to be back. I'm very glad to be uh, as a playwright back for the uh, the episode where suddenly uh, Captain America and Iron Man start talking about show business. Uh, so, <laughs> this, uh, I'm glad I was able to nab this moment because it's it's right up my alley. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, I was going to ask: Is there a particular reason you picked this minute? Is it because of this conversation? Uh, yeah, this is absolutely why. Uh, yeah, um, uh, that uh, as I was looking at the ones that were that were available when I was picking, I came across this one. I was like, well, I have to call tips on this one. It's <laughs> the one where, where suddenly it becomes about theater, and I'm you know, I, I, if I'm going to be the representative of <laughs> of, uh, of the drama uh, for this season, I, I, I should uh, I should be. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I you know I, I usually try to save my my, my plugs and talking about uh, my my plays for the uh, for the end of these episodes but um when i was writing my play the parodies this movie i don't think i had watched the movie super recently i knew it well enough to feel like i could i could hit the beats and and, and so on but um it, it's for the equivalent moment of this where they're trying to figure out where uh uh yoki in my play is going to be making his last stand uh they say like well he, you know he's uh he he craves uh you know theatricality and and uh, uh and so on. like oh he he'll be in times square he'll be wait Gang, we're going to Broadway, and so the you know the finale takes place in, in New York. <laughs> and at one point, uh, Yoki tells the uh, the Hikawi uh, army to um, uh, you know just de- de- destroy the city, uh, except for the Richard Rogers Theater because I haven't seen Hamilton yet. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was, I was very excited to get to uh, to talk about this moment. I bet you loved seeing the uh, musical version of all of this in the Hawkeye show, huh? I hated it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I love almost every single thing about the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, you know, even the movies, the lesser ones, Thor 2 and so on, I still have great fondness for. Though the, 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 the things that I can actually say I hate is like two episodes of What If and Rogers the Musical. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> For the 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 songs the, for Wandavision, the uh, you know all the all the theme songs, uh, they went to such uh, measures, and they got you know, the, uh, the 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 folks who wrote Frozen and, and right, uh, right. Uh, to uh, to do these songs, and they get these note perfect parodies that show how much they they love you know TV theme songs, which are cheesy and, and usually pretty dumb, but clearly they have great love and fondness for them to recreate them uh, so beautifully, and then what the, the the song and the number is like you've never seen a Broadway show in your life. You, this is what you think Broadway is because you've decided at some point that you don't like theater. This is this, this is like something out of a, a bad Simpsons spec script. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I I can't. I I hate. I it, I was looking forward to it in the trailer. I thought this is so cool. I remember when there was there was supposed to be a Captain America musical, and there was an ad for it in Marvel Comics. Uh, you know, and it never it never happened. But um, yeah, I was so looking forward to it, and then it was just yeah, uh, I I. I really couldn't stand it um yes so you, you won't often hear me going on I, I don't like to yuck other people's yums but that uh, that is something that really uh 
really bug me and it drives me crazy that they're actually putting it in Disneyland now. <laughs> oh, I didn't hear that. Uh, yeah, I didn't hear funny. that. No. Yeah, apparently it's, it's good. They're going to do some degree of that as a, as a real live show in, uh, in Disney parks. Oh my God. Uh, coming soon. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm not I'm not going to say it's not a one note joke like it it is to me it's a one note joke I don't I'm not repulsed by it but it doesn't deserve a a, a theme park adaptation not even <laughs> a little bit well it's funny because the thing that that uh, I mean I I thought it was fun I enjoyed what they did with it but the thing that where my head went is is like how did the people who wrote this musical know about all of these little beats that happen like how does how does right. anybody in society know captain america ever said i could do this all day like it's just like it's it's a line that he said to a villain at some point but no one else was there i mean does he go around saying that to like everybody that he meets like when he's tipping he's like here's some extra i could do this all day like is when it just signs, <laughs> when he signs autographs it's right. i could do this all day of like, course people just like god yeah. will he ever stop saying that will he stop doing this all day <laughs> I mean, we yeah, we have learned that apparently the average you know civilian seems to know blow for blow what happens in the uh, the Battle of Avengers compound from Endgame, probably because Scott Lang wrote it in degree detail in his book, yeah, and that's why they're able to. Uh, uh, that's why the people who weren't there seem to know exactly what happened. Uh, but yeah, this one would not have had an equivalent. Um, Right. I like to call that diegetic rumors, right? Like <laughs> it's just on the wind. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, let's jump into this minute a little bit. We're starting this minute where it's it's kind of at the end of the 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 focus of our conversation, really kind of about Coulson's death, and and this is we're at this point where we're still kind of getting this reaction from Tony about you know Steve had just asked him, have you ever had a soldier that you're with die? And Tony says we're not soldiers, and then right at the start of this minute he comes in, I'm not marching to Fury's Fife, and this is kind of the shift of going out of reacting to everything uh that colson kind of brought to the table as far as the you know the way that they're kind of brought them together and everything of course with the the lie of the 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 bloody trading cards and all that sort of stuff but we kind of move past all of this and really start trying to figure out okay we well he died for a reason we need to figure this out so that we can stop loki what I think is interesting about this conversation is it starts taking two directions. We have Steve, who is just like the the strategist, who is like, okay, let's focus on this. We got to uh, figure out what what this power source is that Loki is going to use. So let's figure that out. And then Tony still hasn't quite let the, everything with Coulson goes, and he looks at this blood stain on the wall, and he says he made it personal. And this kind of starts this this bifurcated conversation about power source versus loki's motivations and what i think is so interesting and this is i i like the way that this scene is crafted and i'd love to get the thoughts from the two of you because it's really this this two uh two angles that really kind of come together and um are woven together by in their conversation as to this power source but also the entire point of what loki's reasonings are the Cap and Iron Man dynamic throughout, you know, uh, the the whole first uh, uh, three phases, uh, you know, wind up being so key and so important. And uh, uh, and I, I love these these two actors so much. And so, you know, and, and seeing them, you know, forming this relationship and, and, and being the, the right kind of give and take that the other one, uh, each of them needs is, uh, is so great to see. Because, you know, from here on, 
sort of the two characters arc is Steve becoming more like Tony and Tony becoming more like Steve that, you know, that, uh, early in this movie, you know, Steve says, you, we need a plan of attack. And Tony says, I have a plan attack. And then, you know, jump forward to infinity war. And he's the one who has to come up with the plan when it's when he and the guardians and, uh, and, and, and Spider-Man are, uh, are, are going to take on Thanos themselves. You know, he has to, you know, he has to be cap in that situation. Um, but that's not exactly what you're asking about the specifics of, you know, uh, uh, cracking Loki and, and analyzing him. Yeah. Steve is a good judge of character. Uh, and for really the only time you really get something wrong is Tony that he, that he, he misjudges Tony because Tony deliberately tries to make people get things wrong. But he, he, he wears <laughs> emotional yeah. armor in addition to other armor. Yeah. So, so, you know, he, so he's right on, but, you know, but he then did also did need, you know, Tony's insight of, you know, he's, he's trying to make it personal. It was always personal before for him, but he, he, you know, he, he needed that to be for the case for the rest of us too. I, I think one of the things that appeals to me about this sequence is that with the exception of the conversation in the lab that gets intense as a result of, you know, scepter, whatever, this is the only this is the first time I think we have Cap and Tony conversing in a way that exchanges information and tries to move things forward. It transcends banter. We have a lot of banter between the two of them. And, uh, you know, I think the you know, I, it's one of the things that Whedon is really great at is banter and and playful, sarcastic, uh, whatever form of sort of uh, informal uh banter you know one upmanship is it's it's great writing but this is two people who now are coming together on and and trying to find the same page and get on it and we get a solid minute of them just talking and eventually talking to each other those moments are kind of few and far between in this movie and so i i just want to level some appreciation for it this slows down and lets two people talk to each other and move things forward at the same time. And I, you know, to get back to the joke I made originally on, I love that their coming together point is they start using these show business metaphors. Yes. <laughs> they start talking about, you know, opening night and I caught his preview. And um, you know, like, why, why would they? they realize, well, because Cap was a chorus boy for uh, a few months before he got to be uh, a super soldier. Um, and clearly Tony has a, some love of theatricality. He put on the Stark Expo and, you know, was, you know, showing up with dancing girls and, and so on. He at least appreciates the value of it. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not what either truly wants to be, but it's something that they sort of learned about coincidentally. And he almost goes to using a new nickname. It's not quite falling into the nickname, so we're not going to add it to the nickname tracker. Uh, but he does say that Loki's a full tilt diva, which, um, you know, <laughs> he's not calling him full tilt diva. He's not saying he's describing him as. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I see that nuance. <laughs> but yeah, so so here's a question, though, that I have uh, in the scope of figuring all of this out. Can you track Tony's logic as far as the way that he's uh, kind of walking from he made it personal to uh, he wants a monument built to the skies with his name plastered on it. No. Like, okay, because <laughs> I was like, is there something in here that I'm not clicking with is the way that he, he's putting this puzzle piece together. Yeah, and the fact that it cuts to Stark Tower is like, that is a non-linear leap for me and maybe it's it's perfect for tony but it's hard to to stop and watch this minute with this one minute at a time and not feel a little bit broken that that's a bit of logic that doesn't hold for me 
yeah, it's it's like there's there's point B and there's point D, but uh, but C is missing uh, somehow. That yeah, like you're, right. okay, yes, it may, yes, he's making it personal, and you have reason to believe that. And making it personal is one of the reasons why he wants to use Stark Tower. That's also because it's the power source that he needs. Yeah, but you're sort of you were actually going off in a different direction before you sort of veered back to this. I actually, Dean, I think that's a really important point because this is the, th- this demonstrates to me the expertise of writing dialogue in a way that sounds natural and human. So you understand the how very well. And then we get to what does the, what does the dialogue do to move the plot forward in a way that's logical? So this demonstrates here they're not entirely sure the why. And, and so getting, make, finding a great sequence. In particularly, I think in these movies that where we have great dialogue that understands the why and the how, uh, is it, it can, can be a little fiddly. It can be a little hard to, to find. There's a lot of great dopamine writing. Uh, you know, I, I, this, that's why these movies are what they are big, bombastic, you know, pixel fests. And, you know, um, maybe you could say that Thor was trying to, to, preemptively transcend what these big superhero movies were bound to become, but, you know, arguably didn't. What's interesting about the the dialogue here that Tony has, or what Tony is starting to piece together, I mean, this is a conversation we've had a lot over the course of this, uh, the last, I don't know, half hour or so of this film, because from the point that Loki makes the decision in Stuttgart, or he and Clint have put this plan together, it says, yes, you're going to go to Stuttgart, create this scene so that I can steal this, this, uh, this iridium, but you're going to get caught and you're going to go onto the helicarrier. And we've been kind of debating, like, why is this part of the plan? Like, what is Loki's plan? Like, once he gets here, is it just to release the Hulk? Why? What's the goal? And is it to get the scepter on board so that, I mean, it seems like the, they want to get the scepter on board so that, that Barton can arrive there. But again, it seems like once Barton's here, the only point is to get Loki off of it. And I guess, I mean, he's he's trying to take the helicarrier down and stuff. So there's an element of finding the helicarrier, bring it down. He has that line when he's talking to Coulson, you know, your heroes are divided and your your flying fortress is falling from the sky. So I guess that is kind of it. And this is kind of what Tony, his point here is, like Loki's point was to hit us where we live, divide and conquer. He wants, but then, then it kind of shifts the direction of, his motivations here. It's not just about hitting us where where we live. It's that he wants to be seen doing it. And so it there's like so much going on in the conversation here. I feel like I, I want to say, oh yeah, it's all super logical. But I think that you know, as you were saying, the writers needed to just kind of get through this, and they found a way to do it with a particular character. When when Robert Downey Jr. is talking and he's excited about making this point, and then we get to cut, like he figures it out, we figure it out. Oh my God, it's Stark Tower, and we see Eric Selvig on the top of it. Then you know we're just right there with it. But when you really do stop and think about it, it's like there's there's so little logic in all of this that I just really have to take a lot of leap to kind of put all this together. I, I found a screenplay online for this. I think it's just a transcript. Um, and the the line that, uh, that Tony said, that Tony says, uh, I think the line is, divide and conquer is great, but he knows he has to take us out to win. Whoever transcribed this had written it as, he has to conquer his greed, but he knows he has to take us out to win, right? Uh, 
So it's like, okay, you just heard it wrong. But I initially heard it as divide and conquer. That's his creed, <laughs> which, you know, which would kind of work. But yes, that, that, that also right, kind that, of uh, works. That, uh, yeah. that, would, that uh, certainly covers it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Well, I yeah, I think this is the, what it pokes at is something that we've been talking about for the you know last many many minutes, which is this whole idea of Loki, what he what he brandishes, like what he wears most prominently on his sleeve is his hubris, and so we we get. Tony coming to that realization, right, that he connects it to uh, the gleaming tower with his name emblazing, em, emblazoned, on, emblazoned on it, and then we cut to the Stark Tower. That's the, that's the, the point of weakness for me in this bit of exchange. It is an interesting beat, though, because there is this element where it does make you think, is Tony seeing some of himself in Loki in the way that, because uh, oh, I mean, yeah, Tony, that's a good point. all yeah. of the stuff Tony is saying is kind of him, too. I mean, it is his own tower that, in fact, yeah, is, right. the, oh, yeah. is the final place. Well, an arrogant man with father issues. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's an interesting bit. I, I just, I feel like I end up really enjoying the conversation at the start of this minute and by the time they're like tony's pu- putting all the puzzle pieces together i end up really struggling with so much of the logic and i just i don't want to have to think about the logic because i just i have so many issues with it but the curse of the format i guess for sure but we do end up seeing eric uh busy at the top of stark tower i did have questions i mean last time we saw him he was in the the back of a vehicle driving at, you know through a tunnel it, it it seemed like he was probably crossing into manhattan at that particular point in time i and i guess i was just wondering like so how do they is i mean he had a few people in the vehicle with him we only saw the one vehicle driving I guess that there must have been some other men of Loki's. I mean, I'm assuming Stark Tower is not empty. I know it's, you know, he just got it up and running. But I mean, I mean, it's Tony Stark. I would imagine that there's some level of security that he has here, right? Yeah. If, if the top three floors are all, you know, labs, as as he says, then there's got to be a lot of expensive equipment that needs guarding. But the bottom, like, 50 floors are florists and real <laughs> estate agents and maybe some accountants. Yeah. Well, it's still under construction. So I, th- I think the vast majority of the building is still... Uh, unoccupied, really. It's just him and his his uh, penthouse up at the top. But still, it does make me wonder: like, how do Loki's men, all these mercenaries, how do they get past security? And then the other question is: like, why is Eric up here alone? Like, I mean, even in the vehicle, we've always seen somebody else there. Kind of, even if they're just standing there as an extra, somebody's always nearby just to kind of help if he needs it. And this is the first time we're really seeing him. Nope, I'm going to do this all by myself. Also, you have to wonder, did they carry all of the equipment up from the bottom or did like did they bring it in by helicopter? Now, presumably, people are used to seeing things being helicoptered into uh, to Star Tower all the time. So it wouldn't be uh, you know unusual. Um, but yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Like the, this is a fairly big piece of machinery that Selvig has. Uh, I mean, it's fully assembled. And as we know, the story, you know, we've talked about it. This is all taking place over the course of a week. And when we see this, like this is literally the same uh, like the morning of them having been driving in so it's not like they've had much time so they really kind of either they assembled it incredibly quickly and maybe that's why we see nobody because they're all on break right now (laughs) or or they flew it up here i mean that's a that's a great point is that that they drove it into new york loaded it onto helicopter and then brought it up here i'd like to see that i i just there's something about it that to me, actually prefers a Marvel one-shot 
of just them negotiating the elevators. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, I would tune in for that. <laughs> I'm thinking of the the scene in Friends where they're carrying the couch up the stairs and just Pivot. all these Pivot. anti-shield folks. Pivot! Pivot! <laughs> Pivot! Scars guard. Pivot! Yeah. The more I look at this, the more I think that they had to fly this thing up here because there is there's no way to even get to the top of this. Like when you cut to like we get the close or not the close up, but the kind of a medium shot of Eric at the top. And then we cut to a much wider shot and we kind of see the whole cityscape, see Stark Tower and all that stuff. There is not a single like there's not a door entrance in here that would lead to like a stairwell or an elevator or anything. It is just the gravel rooftop and there's no way to get up here so it would have to have been brought up by a copter yeah i remember when i visited monticello years ago um which is you know a beautiful tour and uh uh i remember one point in the rooms like all these there's lots of narrow hallways and tiny doors and i asked the tour guide like so all of the furniture stuff in here did it have to be assembled in the rooms they said oh yeah you couldn't carry this stuff up you know they said so like wow thomas jefferson he invented the dumb waiter and also ikea um (laughs) (laughs) oh that's hilarious well we end this minute cutting very briefly into the uh the sick bay we'll talk about that uh, in tomorrow's minute with you dean as we will be uh chatting about uh the return of Hawkeye to the story. All right. So, uh, so that's it for today. Let's wrap today's minute up. Dean, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, always so glad. This is uh, this has uh, been really fun. I'm, I'm sad I've only got one episode left to go. <laughs> it goes quick sometimes, for sure. Have you written anything new in the last uh, fifteen minutes? In the last fifteen minutes, well, uh, <laughs> no, but I'll, I'll tell you more about. Uh, uh, so we haven't uh, gotten to talk much about uh, uh, my version of uh, Cap or Iron Man yet. Um, both my my versions though, in my play Marvelous Squad, available for production by your local high school or middle school drama club. I, I, both those characters are female in in mine. Um, I, I do that a lot. I will often change male characters to female, mostly for practical reasons. I, that you know more girls show up to auditions for for these plays than than boys, so you, you make sense. Yeah, yeah. So sure. my uh, my my uh, my uh, uh, Tonya Sparks is also known as Ironica, um, and uh, Ironica, uh, Ironica, yeah, um, which works on you know two levels. Um, and yeah. uh, and 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 Dottie Dash, um, which which is sort of a plan like Roger is like you know like Roger Roger and you know dot dots and dashes um, uh, is uh, is uh, Cinderella Liberty. Um, <laughs> which is you know uh uh and um yeah and she i she speaks with a a very exaggerated 40s patois so like i use lots of uh, uh lots of 40s slang for her to really play up the uh the, the person out of time uh and, and so that those were both really fun to write um and um uh yeah anything else i want to say about uh about those yeah no just so yeah so check those out and if you if you know drama kids let them know if they exist fantastic well again those links are in our show notes along with all of other uh, all of dean's other links for his socials and everything so check it all out and that's it for today we'll be back with dean one last time tomorrow to talk about minute 98 so pete thanks as always i thought we were done with it you guys but <laughs> tomorrow building the team montage montage <laughs> oh always ready for another montage Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. 
Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. 